Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many circumstances in our lives, so many things that happen in and around and to us that discourage us. It makes it difficult for us to remain hopeful. And so we ask you, Lord Jesus, strengthen our faith, strengthen our confident trust in you that you hold us and that you hold the future and that we can entrust all that we have and all that we are into your never failing love and care. Guide us and send us with confidence that we too might share that word and that hope with the world in Jesus' name. We continue our series out of hibernation. Today, we focus on how we can move out into the world in these days with hope. How the hope that we have in Jesus can sustain us, can can call us beyond the circumstances of our lives and fill us with confidence that we might walk beyond our our feelings and our circumstances to, to carry the hope of the gospel in our relationships and in our world. Over the last few weeks, I've often used or referred to biblical stories that come out of despairing places. A few weeks ago, it was the Valley of Dry Bones where uh, God's army had been defeated and their bones had dried up long ago. And God is able through the word of the prophet and the movement of the spirit to bring life into those dry bones and raise those people up again. And then more recently, it was about the, the exiles. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people of Israel who had been exiled into Babylon. They had been defeated and taken captive and enslaved in Babylon. And God was calling them to live in the fullness of life and trust in the coming promise of restoration for them as a people and as a nation. Hope isn't about circumstances. Hope is about promise and faith in the promise giver. And God promises that he loves and takes care of us And so we can move into this future in spite of all the unknowns around us with a confident hope, knowing that we live out our lives in his never failing love and care. We look today to the book of Ruth. Uh, Several of our grow, grow groups studied Ruth back earlier in this year and And we're able to learn about the amazing story uh, that exists here in the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth actually begins with Elimelech, the husband of Naomi. They have two sons and they live in Israel in a time of famine that they determine is unbearable. And so they leave God's land of Israel 
and they go to the foreign nation of Moab, and there they settle. And their two sons marry two Moabite women. But not too long later, Elimelech dies, and Naomi's two sons die, leaving Naomi and Ruth and Orpha, all widows. Naomi is in utter and complete grief and despair. And she decides that there's nothing for her to do but go back to Israel. Even though she doesn't really see anything there for her, she decides to go back and she tells Orpah and Ruth to, to, to stay in Moab, stay in their own country where they'll at least have a chance. And Orpah agrees, and while reluctantly, she goes back to her people. Ruth, however, is incredibly loyal to Naomi. And there's that beautiful verse in the Bible where she says, wherever you go, I will go, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die. And they begin the journey. They begin the hopeless journey back to Israel. Now, why do I say hopeless? Well, even though the people of Israel are excited to see Naomi and they greet her with a warm welcome, she says, don't call me Naomi. I am, I am cursed. God is against me. Call me Mora because God has made my life bitter. It's interesting that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, seems to have a confidence in this new God she has inherited from her marriage. And she begins to trust in that God. Well, in truth, the book of Ruth rarely mentions God. But as they go back to Israel, they are, they are poor. Again, they're in despair. They're hopeless. And so it's the beginning of the harvest season, and Naomi sends Ruth out into the field. Well, not out into the fields, around the fields where she is permitted to glean that which the harvesters have left in the field. It was a pattern in Israel where those who were poor and, and out of work could, could pick up the scraps around the edges of the field and, and have enough food. Well, as it turns out, the field that Ruth goes to is the field of Boaz. And Boaz is what is known as their kinsman redeemer. Now, kinsman redeemer isn't anything we know about, but it's important to understand in the context of the story that, that widows really had, had no hope whatsoever other than the, the charity and the generosity of those around them. They, they, they didn't have land. They didn't have jobs. They didn't, they didn't have anything. They were completely destitute. And so all that they could do would be to, yes, pick up these scraps. But Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer, it means that he's one of the relatives. So when uh, a woman was widowed in Israel, her husband's brothers would take her in, make her a part of their family, often marry and have children in the brother's name 
so that that would be how they would be cared for and lived. But uh, if it wasn't a brother, then it was the next person in line. And Boaz happened to be related and therefore took Ruth as a wife. And the story unfolds in a beautiful way. Even though Ruth is a foreigner, a, a Moabite woman, she becomes a part of this journey of redemption and hope that is the story of faith we have throughout the scripture. And as it turns out, this Moabite woman and her kinsman redeemer husband Boaz have a child who ends up being the grandfather of King David and the, the line of Jesus, the redeemer of the world. It's hard when we look out and, and don't see things we can count on. It, it's hard when we look at the days ahead and, and they seem to hold hopelessness. They, they seem to be without promise. We, we can't in our, in our mind's eye sort of put together uh, the course of events that we can see coming and, and think that things are going to be better. And so we begin to live with a sense of fear and a, a sense of foreboding, a sense of despair. Sometimes it isn't circumstances. Sometimes it's our own emotional health. And often we've heard in this pandemic time that that the disconnection that has existed between people, the, the extra distance that has been called for and lived out in these last 15 months plus have brought us down emotionally. Many people have entered into periods of depression, sometimes severe depression. And especially when you're in that place, it's hard to hope. And so I say to you that our hope can't be rooted in our circumstances or in our emotions, in our feelings, or even in our body chemistry. Rather, we have to put our hope in a God who is at work even in ways we cannot see. And so we hear the promise of scripture, we see over and over and over again the faithfulness of God to his people. And we say, Lord, include me. Lord, I, I can't see it, but I put my trust in you. And I ask you to give me the courage to walk into that future. I saw a symbol recently and at first, I could barely understand what it meant, but it really means God is greater than my highs and lows. God, for the symbol G, the, the greater than sign, and then the up arrow and the down arrow, God is greater than my highs and lows. I proclaim to you that God is greater than your highs and your lows. God is greater than your difficult circumstances and even greater than your great 
circumstances. He is trustworthy and he loves you and he calls you out of hibernation and into a life that makes a difference for you and for the people around you as you live beyond your circumstances, as you live beyond your emotions and live in the hope based on the promise of the loving, faithful God. Jesus, as he heads to the cross in these final words with his apostles, his disciples, knows that hard times are ahead. He knows that there will be infighting between them as there already has been. He knows that there will be uh, uh, forces arrayed against them and that they will be scattered to the far ends of the earth. And so he prays for them in their presence. And he says, Father, keep them in your name. The name of God, the name represents the, the character and the, the fullness of a person. Keep them in you, Father. Your family, your chosen ones, your sent ones, your, the ones you provide for. And as they journey through these difficult days ahead, seeing my crucifixion and death, and, and as I depart and, and leave them to do the work of the church, keep them, as Luther might say, in the one true faith, in the trust and hope of what it means to be a child, a disciple, a sent one of God. When you can't feel God, trust his name, trust his character. Have any of you had the experience, maybe even in the last 15 months of, of what the the, the Holy Father is called the dark night of the soul, uh, a, a time when it felt like God wasn't hearing your prayers or certainly wasn't answering them, or if he was, that the answers were just disappointing. The truth of the matter is being a Christian doesn't mean life will always go the way we want it to go. As a matter of fact, often it will not. The promise we have is a promise from God that he will journey with us. He will lead us into the life that he intends for us as we submit to him, entrust our lives to him, and follow him. He will give us purpose even in the midst of the most challenging of circumstances. We can be a people of hope even in the midst of darkness because we can trust in God even if we can't sense him, because he is faithful to his promises. It is in the very character of God. I happen to be a person who is often encouraged by Caleb, a 
and network of encouraging contemporary Christian music. And I was listening this week to a great song by Mercy Me. The song is called Say I Won't. And there's an amazing line in that song. It's a song that sort of calls you to greater life than you maybe are currently living in. And it has this amazing line. I will be dancing when circumstances drown out the music. It's a wonderful image of things that can suck the joy out of our lives and and distract us from what God is doing. And it's a a faith statement. I am going to keep dancing. Even when the music is drowned out, I'm going to trust that the music plays on and I can keep on dancing. I can keep on going forward into the life that God intends and circumstances will not drown out the music. As Paul writes uh, to the church in Rome, in Romans uh, 15, he, he's, he's reminding uh, the, the, the Christians there that, that they can have hope even in the midst of persecution. Uh, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Paul, as he writes this, goes on to say, I know you know this. As a matter of fact, you know this so well, you could even teach this. But nonetheless, I'm going to remind you, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need, verse 15 says, is this reminder. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let this be your reminder. God is for you, not against you. God has a plan, a hope, and a future for you. And that you and I can, can stand on the promises of God. We can trust in them. We don't have to cower. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to hide. We can stand in the promises of God. It's a good idea to get the reminder. Pastor John had a beautiful sermon last week that talked about the importance of being a community of faith together where we can find encouragement from one another to stand to trust, to hope, to share, to love, and be encouraged. I love standing on the promises of God as a a statement of perseverance. But as I thought about it for this sermon, I realized that there's still another step. It's not enough to just stand here. Here in this place, in this place and time of of worship, we we get replenished, we get rejuvenated, we get filled up with the presence and power of God. And then we don't just keep standing, we live in the promises of Christ. 
we take what we believe and what we hear and what we pray and we translate it into lives that make a difference. Jesus referred to that in the Gospel of Matthew when he's talking about uh, a building house. He says in Matthew 7, verse 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We, we trust, we believe, and then we go and obey and live in the fullness of God's promise. He said in another way in Mark 9, 24, as he was talking to a desperate father, a desperate father who brought his son to be healed by Jesus. He was, he'd run out of options. And he, he says to Jesus, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus says, if, what do you mean if I can? Of course I can. If you believe. And the man has this amazing statement to Jesus, which I encourage you to make your daily prayer. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not that we won't be discouraged along the way. It's not that we won't have doubts or that we won't have stumbles where we seek to try to do something that's a blessing to others and fall on our face. We all make those kinds of mistakes. We all go through those highs and lows. It's a wonderful time to say to Jesus after you pray and ask him to help you and to guide you and to lead you in life, to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Don't let my doubts take me down, but rather let my faith and confidence in you lead me out. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the time of hibernation is over. The time of engagement has come as we live out the hope that is ours in the promise and faithfulness of God and as we share that hope with our world. Thanks be to God. Amen.